Well, good morning, church. I'm Scott Weatherford. How are you guys? Uh, that, that singing kind of flung a craving for barbecue on me, didn't it, y'all? That's some good stuff. Thank you, Jonathan and team. Uh, just, it's God's marvelous grace. How can we explain it? We can't outrun it. We can't outsend it. God just gives it to us because he loves us. Isn't that great? Have you ever been involved in part of something or some things or some people that you, they do things that you go, why do you do that? Why do you do that? Now, every one of us have been married, have looked at our spouses and said, why do you do that? Right? And you want to know why. You want to know the origin of, of, of why. And if you don't know why, then why bother? Now, yesterday, uh, I did some things. I got up early and I kind of snuck off and I did some things. I went and, and bought Tara some gifts. Then I went by the finest bakery that I could find, H-E-B, and I bought her a cake. And then I arranged for fireworks to be displayed last night. Some of y'all saw that. I, I made that up. I didn't do that. And, but why did I do that? Because it was her birthday. And I wanted to celebrate her birthday. Now, did I do that out of fear? That if I did not celebrate her birthday, I'd be in trouble? Now, y'all know that's ain't right. Now, I did it out of love because I love her and I want to celebrate her birthday. I was so grateful that in a fit of passion, her mom and daddy conceived her and her mother pushed her forth from her womb. Some 20 years ago. So I was celebrating her birthday because I love her. And we think about why. And if you don't know why, then why bother? And I've been around church for a long, long time. And, I, and I've been a pastor for 37 years now. And, and I coach pastors all over the United States. In fact, we had two guys in this week, one from Alpharetta, Georgia, and one from Deer Park, uh, Texas. And they were in two brothers, very different churches. And, and man, churches do crazy stuff. Did you know that? Did you know that? And we get involved in crazy stuff and we don't know why we do what we do. We have crazy programs. We do crazy things and we, we don't even know why. If you don't know why, then why bother? What are the origins of it? And of course, we have traditions. And if you don't do exactly what we've always done before, it's, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. But you know, oh, let me just kind of tell you a story. There was this lady, this married woman, and she was fixing a ham for supper. And her husband is in the kitchen watching her, and he cut off, she cut off the end of the ham and threw it away. And her husband said, baby, why'd you do that? She goes, I don't know. My mama did that. She said, well, call your mama and find out what's going on. Call her mama and said, mama, I noticed when you cook ham, you cut off the end, you throw it away. Why do you do that? She goes, I don't know. Your grandmother did that. So she picked up the phone. She called Gigi. She said, Gigi, I noticed when you cook ham, you cut off the end and throw it away. Why do you do that? She goes, my pan's not big enough for the ham. That's a long time of wasted pork, y'all. But we do this over and over and over. We don't know why. We don't know why. And then we, do we just do crazy things? Now, every church, every church I deal with, every pastor I deal with, they say this. They say, well, we are a disciple-making church. I go, really? Oh, yes, we're a disciple-making church. I said, well, what is that? We're a disciple-making church. And they don't know why, and they, so why bother? But I'm going to help you with some things. I'm going to tell you why we exist, why this church, First Baptist Church Wimberley, exists. Now, we've existed for, it'll be our 134th anniversary this year. We're going to celebrate in October. There will be cake and ice cream, okay? 
So we're going to celebrate 134 years. Now, we exist for this reason. Get this. We exist for the global glory of God. That's why we exist. We don't exist for your comfort or convenience or, or for you to be part of a country club without a golf course. We don't do that. We exist for one reason. That's the global glory of God. That's, what we, that's why we exist. Now, what do we do? What do we do here? We, we build lives that honor God. That's what we do. Really. That's right. Why do, why do you build lives that honor God? Why do you say that? Because Jesus was a builder. Jesus was a builder. He said, well, no, Jesus was a carpenter. No, no, Jesus was, the Greek word for Jesus was a tecton, a builder. Carpenter was an anglicized word for that and usually used in a dismissive manner towards Jesus. Jesus was a builder. He was a tecton. And so if Jesus built things, so what did Jesus build? Jesus didn't build buildings. He built people. So if Jesus was a builder, and he built people, then shouldn't the church to bring glory to him do what Jesus did by building people? Wouldn't you agree with that? So we build people. Well, well, how do you build people? How do you do that? Well, this is what we decided. We are going to reach back into the pages of Christianity, in the history of Christianity, and we're going to build disciples like Jesus built disciples. We're not going to build disciples like tradition says to build them or a denomination says to build them or a publishing company says to build them we're gonna build them like jesus you know how jesus built disciples that's what he did come and see come and follow come and serve come and die so i built them come and see invitation come and follow me come and serve me come and die for me that's how he built them in 100 a.d all the apostles were dead they were all dead. And the church had moved its central location from Jerusalem because the Romans burned it down in 70 AD. And they moved it to Antioch. And Antioch, they started what? They said, we need to systematize what it means to follow Jesus. Disciple making, as it were. We need to systematize this. So they came up with the Antioch Canacubid schools. And they began to teach how disciples, how to follow Jesus. What did, how did Jesus build people? They started teaching that. And, and then there's some things like the Westminster Confession. Any of y'all grew up Presbyterian? Raise your hand. Anybody Presbyterian? Presbyterian? They're always polite. They always just kind of slip it up very quietly. Yes, I was predestined to be the beloved of God. Yeah, that's right. Anybody grow up a, a Methodist? Anybody Methodist? Got a few Methodists in the hands? I would say anybody grow up Pentecostal? I've already heard from y'all, so it's all right. <laughs> You know, Pentecostal in the room, you're going to hear from them. That's all right. In the Westminster Confession, you find the five, actually there's six principles of disciple making. In the Wesleyan Method, you'll find the five principles of disciple making. And so we have five principles here that we use. That's connecting with God through Jesus Christ and then connecting with others in the church. Growing to be like Jesus so we can have the mind of Christ, so we can see like Jesus, think like Jesus, speak like Jesus, have the mind of Christ. And you get that through biblical disciple-making, through biblical knowledge, through group life, through giving, generosity, through spiritual disciplines, like fasting. And I believe in fasting between meals. It's an awesome way to do that. <laughs> and so we, we want to grow to be like Jesus. And then we, we think you got to serve God by serving others. That everything our hand finds to do, we do it for the glory of God. We serve God by serving others. Because a Christian without a ministry is a misery. 
And you become, actually, if you don't have a ministry, you sit, you soak, you sour, and you stink. So every member is supposed to be a ministry. You're supposed to have a, be a minister. And then we, we believe that a, a, someone who follows Christ, he contagiously shares the love of God in word and in deed. That we share the love of God verbally and we do it at, through actions of compassion. And that is a life that honors God. That's the five marks in the Westminster Confession, Wesley's methods and historic Christianity. And so we're committed to that as a church. Why? Because we exist for the global glory of God. We build lives that honor him. How do we do it? By connecting, growing, serving, and sharing. What do we do now? What do we do now? What do we do now? We be about reconciliation. We join God in his reconciliation process to reconcile people personally, to reconcile us relationally, and to join God in reconciling the world. The University of Texas has a motto. It says this, what starts here changes the world. Doesn't that sound fancy? Hook them. Not so fancy. Better than gig them, hook them, gig them. What are we doing to people, right? <laughs> what starts here changes eternity. All for Jesus. And so when we know the, the why, we know the what, and we know the how and the what now, will we engage ourselves in being the hope of the world? We are to be about reconciliation. God wants us to join him in reconciling the world to himself. Now, Tara came to church last night, came to the gathering last night, and she listened to this message, and she listened to uh, this, and she said, she asked me this question, how in the world did you get what you got out of the passage of what you're going to teach? And that's a good question, isn't it? And she said, it made sense, but I don't know how you got there. I said, this is how I got there. I was reading a, a great, brilliant commentary by a guy named Warren Wearsby. And Warren Wearsby said this, and I just read this and it just caught me. And I said, this is the seed of this inspiration, that everything we do starts with our motivation. That God stirs in our hearts and implants in our minds and it comes out of our hands. That God wants us to be motivated to live all for him. Now, I know people say, well, I don't trust so-and-so's motives. Most of the time, you don't even know your own motives. How do you trust somebody else's motives? How can you judge them? So the motivation of our heart, my heart, must be for God's global glory to build lives that honor him by seeing people connected, growing, serving, and sharing, and joining God in reconciliation. So it starts in my heart, but how do I get there? Well, this morning we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through following, 14 through 21, and we'll see God's pathway for us to go on. And I think we're going to be forever changed. Y'all ready for this? That's three of you. Are y'all ready for this? Yeah. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning. And I pray that you speak through me. That will not be my words or my thoughts, but Father, your truth that leads us to live all for you. And I thank you for how great and good and wonderful you are, how faithful you are. And help us discover this together that we might live all for you, Jesus. And we pray this all in your strong name. Amen. Now take out your blank sheet of paper and write down some notes because it's really important because I want you to track with me. Hopefully you've already taken some notes, but I want you to, to track with me and we're going to throw it up on the screen so you can easily follow it. Here's the first thing I want you to know. Everything, uh, go back to the previous slide to get that first point. Everything 
we do must be done out of love for Jesus. Everything we do must be done out of the love of Jesus. Now let me read this passage. Here, here it is on the screen. For the love of Christ controls us. Really? Really? The love of Christ controls us? Most of the time I find the love of me controls me because I want what I want when I want it. You gonna get an amen on that one? You know, you're saying amen for your brother sitting beside you, aren't you? Does the love of Christ really control it? But he should because we have concluded this. This is what Paul says. Get this. That one has died for all. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus died for all. Therefore, all have died. In other words, if you're going to have life at all, you have to die to yourself so you can live for another one. And that one that you live for is the one who exchanged his life for you, and that's Jesus. Jesus died for you to exchange his perfect life for your broken life. You made a switch. Brokenness for holiness. And he died for you that you might live for him, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake has died and was raised. In other words, he had the power to lay down his life to exchange it and the power to take back up his life just so you could die to yourself and be raised to walk in newness of life, to be raised to live all for Jesus, that your life would be changed. You see, the love of Jesus changes everything. Last week, I talked about the concept of God having your yes before he asks. Why? Because you love him. Because you love him. Now, this was illustrated to me yesterday. Yesterday, the little girls came up, my two little granddaughters, Lily and Ivy. And uh, Lily went to sleep while Papa was holding her. I wish somebody would hold me while I went to sleep. I guess I'm too much of an armful. But anyway, Ivy, we were sitting there at the table, and I'd taken my change out, and I put it on the, on the table. You know, coins and nickels and dimes stuff. I put it on the table. And she looked at me and she said, Papa, is this your change? I said, yes, baby, that's my change. She says, Papa, can I have it? I said, what do you think? She goes, yes. Because <laughs> Papa gets a yes. Papa, I want to go to Disney World. Can we go to Disney World? Yes. Who's going to pay for it? Papa. <laughs> Why? Because I love that little girl. She has my yes before she asks. Now, it's probably going to be a problem when she gets to be a teenager, wouldn't you think? Yeah. Yes. And my job is to indulge her and to spoil her. Her parents' her job is to raise her. But the thing is, do we, God, do we love God so much that he has our yes? You see, the love of Christ changes everything. It starts to reorient my life. But here's what most of us do. We want God in our image, not being conformed to his image. We want a Hindu God of karma. We want a Buddhist God of good works. But do we want the holy God who changes our lives? Because Jesus loved you when you were unlovable. Unlovable. And every one of you in this room were unlovable. Look at your neighbor and say, you were unlovable. Be careful you're talking to your spouse. That ain't very, you know. But I love you anyway, right? It's because we're all broken. We're all 
broken. We're all marred. I was listening to a podcast this week. Tara played it for me by a friend of mine, Andy Stanley. And Andy Stanley was talking about how we're all broken. This is something he said. It really, really spoke to me. He said, if Jesus was your parent, if you, you were raised in a single parent home and Jesus was your only parent and he's the one who raised you, you were so messed up, you would still be broken. Don't blame your stuff on your parents. You're broken. You're broken. And you need to be fixed and only God can fix you. Wow, I said, wow. I said, play that again. Play that to our kids, them grown ones. They won't blame their crazy mess on us. That we're broken. But he loved us that. And this great love should motivate us to love him in return and shape our behavior around him. We don't behave in order to get right with God. We believe to get right with God and to behave because we are right with God. And he changes us. If you go up the hill to our offices, our offices are up the hill, and you go and find my office. Now, my office is in the former conference room. My office, the pastor's office, used to be down the hallway with everybody else's office, but somebody's too loud. So they moved him on the other end of the world. And guess what? He's still too loud down there. Big old loud preacher. But my office is in the conference room, and I have a whiteboard in my office. Now, all of our staff will say this. They'll know this. I think on my whiteboard. I write things on my whiteboard. You'll come in, and I'll have you know processes and draw maps and write out ideas and thoughts, and, and it'll be covered. I'll take a picture of it, and I'll give it to Amber, and she'll figure it out and type it up and send it out because that's the way I think. That's why I do it. Just all kinds of stuff. I'm working on some stuff I can't wait to share you with. It's just so good how we track God's faithfulness all the way through Scripture, and we get to Jesus, and then we get to celebrate. I can't wait, but it ain't ready yet. It's going to come in a workbook form. I woke up in the middle of the night last night thinking about it and going, whoo, I will get up and write. I said, no, you got to go preach in the morning. Shut up and go back to sleep. So I did. But I'm going to write this, and I can't wait for you. But see, that was on my whiteboard. But then I erase it all. But one thing I do not erase, it's always on my whiteboard. And at the top of it, it says this. I want you to look at it. This is what it says. Next slide, please. There we go. No, that's the wrong slide. There it is. All right. Everything we do is about Jesus and how we become like him. That's written at the top of my whiteboard. And that's the statement for our whole team. Everything we do is about Jesus and how we become like him. Aren't you glad that your pastors think that way? Okay, you're not glad. Aren't you glad? Yeah. Because we want to be motivated not for our glory or our gain or our good, but all for Jesus. I wear a yellow bracelet that says all for Jesus. That's not just some cute millennial thing. Y'all, I've given up being hip and cool. I just don't want my hip to break. That's the only hip I got, all right? I want to declare and remind myself that I live all for Jesus because everything we do is about him. Why? Because everything we do is out of love for Christ. And it changes us. Why do I love Tara? Out of love for Christ. Why do I love my kids? Out of love for Christ. Why do I love you? Out of love for Christ. I tell y'all, every week I love you. And some of you roll your eyes and go, whatever. I love you because Jesus loves you. And if Jesus loves you, I'm supposed to love you. 
And I do. It's a decision. You see, I no longer live for myself. And that is the greatest challenge I face. Because I want what I want when I want it. I am selfish. I am narcissistic. I want what, am I the only one? Oh, well, good. I don't have to preach on lying. That's good. We have to deal with this. And this, but see, the love of God changes me. Changes me. And how does it change me? It changes me so I can see people like Jesus sees people. Because Jesus loves people more than anything. To see people like Jesus sees people. Now, let me read on what Paul says here in Corinthians. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, what does that mean? That's just kind of weird. Let me try to put it in English. We don't look at anyone on the surface level of who they are. We don't look at them and judge them. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we looked at Christ and we judged him. Now, Paul was writing to people who probably saw Jesus. And they saw him as kind of ordinary, kind of weird dude, carpenter, tecton builder, preacher, healer, like, ooh, what's up with that? But now they, they look at him as the risen Lord. Because this passage of Scripture, the early church was saying these things even as early as five years after the resurrection. They were quoting these things in their gathering. We regard him no longer, thus no longer. We don't look at him that way any longer. Therefore, now this is what really blew my mind. I thought this passage, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, is a new creation, the old has passed, but all, the, all has come new. I used to think about that was me. But I realized that's the way I have to look at people. That's the way I have to see people. That I can't look at you as who you are. I have to look at you as Christ looks at you. And Christ sees the beloved. He sees the beloved. Even if you're far away from God, he loves you even though you're unlovable. And he wants to draw you to himself. And he says, Scott, since you follow me, then you have to become like me. And I love people. In other words, Jesus says, don't be you sitting down there in Walmart judging everybody. And going, ooh, look at that. Ooh, look at that. Tara told me something the other day I thought was really funny. She says, there's three things in the world that don't lie. Little children, God, and yoga pants. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Wyatt. Pray for me, brother. You prayed right now. That means I can't judge people. Do you find yourself doing that? Do you go to Schlitterbahn and go, does everybody have a tattoo on their neck and back? Or is that just me? I don't go to Schlitterbahn. You know, I go to SeaWorld and they keep trying to push me in the orca tank. It's just like, <laughs> stop judging. And I'd have to deal with this because I, I want to see people the way I want to see people. And I want, I want everybody to look like me, act like me, dress like me, sing like me, believe like me, talk like me. And God doesn't. God loves variety. God loves people. The Lord taught me a really valuable lesson about this. Can I look past people's brokenness and their needs and really see Christ? And I struggle here, but God taught me a great lesson years ago. I was young in the ministry. I was in my 20s. And I was the minister of music and youth at a large church in Jacksonville, Florida. 
I mean, terrible combination. It's a combination from the devil himself. And I had 250 students in my student ministry. I mean, just all of these kids. And I had a hundred voice choir, all these people. And I was leading these big ministries. And basically they were paying me starvation wages because, you know, we got to keep the preacher humble by keeping him poor. And I was working and working and working. And, and then God sends this guy into our church. He moves up from Miami to Jacksonville. And he moves there in order to start learning a trade because he's special needs. And his family thinks he needs to learn a trade. So they send him up to Jacksonville to this trade school by himself to learn a trade. And he joins our church and he's loud and he's gregarious and he's outgoing and he's like no filter and no barriers and he's a pain in the neck. And he befriends me. He thinks I'm the best thing since sliced bread. And he's with me. He comes to my office. He talks to me. Comes to my house. I don't know how he found out where I live. Comes to my house. I mean, he just called him. He's awesome. And then he joins the choir. And he's terrible. He sounds like a sack full of cats being hit by a baseball bat. It's bad. And he's loud. He's so loud, I can't cover him up. He is bad. And I was like, ooh. And I do not love him as Christ loved. I just don't. And I just see him as a problem. I was like, oh. And he's always around. Well, one day he shows up at our office and his roommates had beat him up. He was a real short, little, small guy. His roommates had beat him up and he was really beat up in bad shape. And so I, I, I took him to the, the hospital and got him fixed up. And I came back and I went to our senior pastor and I said, Bill Kaufman, I said, hey, Bill, uh, I'm gonna call him Sam. I said, Sam really doesn't need to live here. This is not safe for him. He says, well, you need to take care of Sam. I went, ah, why me? He said, because he's yours. I said, no. don't we have some deacons around here? Let them deacons deke. He goes, no, you need to deal with this. I know your heart. I know your attitude. You need to show compassion. <sighs> All for Jesus. <laughs> so I call his, call his sister and I say, look, you know, he got beat up. He, he's okay. He just looks terrible but he needs to come home and we're going to buy him a bus ticket. We're going to put him on the bus and he'll arrive in Miami. I told her what time, what bus. And so I loaded him up my truck and we drove down to the bus station. Why is the bus station always in the worst part of town? You shoot your way in, shoot your way out. It's terrible. We get down there and he's gregarious. He talks to everybody. I said, look, keep your mouth shut. We are going to get killed here. You sit on this bench. You shut up. I'm going to go buy your ticket. I'm going to come back in two hours. The bus is going to come there. You're going to get on that bus, and you're going to go to Miami where you belong. You had no business being here. And I went and bought his ticket. I came back, and I started fussing at him again. and said, I can't believe your family let you come. I just took He started crying. Well, no kidding. I'm like the biggest jerk in the world. He starts crying. And I said, what you crying for? And he tears, he looked at me, tears streamed down his face. He said, Scott, I'm going to miss you. You're my very best friend. Nobody's ever loved me like you love me. Oh. Twist. And I realized, you know what? I'm a dadgum hypocrite. I'm supposed to love him, and I've been a jerk. God broke my heart. And I sat down with him and 
two hours later, the bus came, and I hugged him, put him on the bus, waved goodbye. He called me that night. I made it good. That's great. Called me the next day, the next day, the next day. Next day. I talked to him with joy because God said, look, Scott, to me, you're Sam. You're special needs. You're a pain. And I love you. And you need to love him. You need to love people. Now you're thinking, well, I don't have anybody in my life like that because it's you. <laughs> but God wants to change our hearts to see people like he sees them and love people. And people are the object of God's love. You know, what starts here changes the world. Changes eternity. Hmm. And Christ makes all things new including me, including you. So I have to share the gift that I've received from Jesus because I want to see people like Jesus sees people because I want to be about being a reconciler. I've got to share the gift that I've received from Jesus. Listen to what Paul says. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You have a ministry of reconciliation. Your job is, so I'm looking for my ministry. It's reconciliation. To make things right. To bring people back into relationship with God. And you've got to love them to do that. People are not projects. That is in Christ, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses. This is what it says in other translations, it says their sins against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representatives for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. You see, Jesus saved you Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And he saved you so that you can share with others how they might be saved as well. Well, Scott, why do you say that? Because every one of you who've called upon the name of the Lord and were saved, you had a guide who led you there. Every one of you had a guide. Now, there might have been a, a prompting of your heart, a moving in your spirit, a moving in your life. You said, you know, I really need to do this. But every one of us has had a guide that someone has come along and talked to you and guided you. I know I did. It was my dad. My dad guided me to Christ. And then it was my brother who helped me grow in Christ. And then churches and seminaries and circumstances and God's word and prayer and, and God's people that I, that I had a guide. I need a guide. And people need a guide. You've had a guide. Can't you guide someone else? And you say, well, I don't know how to guide. Well, we're going to help you. We're going to teach you how to guide. Because God wants us to, to be guides of reconciliation. How do you do that? You tell people some simple things. First of all, listen to me. You've got to earn the right relationally before you can guide people spiritually. Nobody wants to be a project. Nobody wants to be soul stuff. Even Jesus. You earn the right by love, and then you guide them to say things like this. Did you know God loves you? 
I've not talked to a person yet who did not say, yeah, I know, God loves me. It's innate in us. I said, did you know you're broken? Most people go, yeah, pretty messed up. And then they start making excuses about why they're messed up. That's okay. doesn't matter about the excuse. Bottom line is we're all broken. I say, you can't fix yourself. You've got a broken life, but what you need to do, you need to take that broken life, you need to trade it in. You need an exchange. You need to go back to Walmart and get your money back or get something else that fits. So what Jesus did, he's exchanged his life for your life. When Jesus died on the cross, he took his perfect life and he gave it away so that you might take it on. The broken for the holiness. Brokenness for holiness. Death for life. But he's so much God, he came back to life so he could live in you. Gave his life for you. Every other belief system in the world says you have to do something to be right with God. Jesus says, I've done something to make you right with me. Done it. And then you have to accept what he's done because he's a gentleman. He doesn't force you. He woos you and he loves you and he invites you. Be reconciled to God through Christ. Accept what he's done for you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. That's how you guide people to Christ. It's pretty simple, isn't it? It's not about how much you know theologically. It's about how much you've gotten hope from this God who saved you. Do you have to be perfect? No, you're all a dumpster fire. You know it. But that fire can sure attract people to come and see. And we as a church, we're about reconciliation. This church does not exist for ourselves. We exist for the global glory of God. And God is glorified when people are reconciled to himself and then to each other. I think that's pretty incredible because I have to remember to whom I belong. Paul goes on to say, and we'll conclude with this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He made him Jesus who knew no sin so that when him in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, when God looks at us, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. You will reconcile with God so you can guide others to be reconciled to God. So that means I have to kill the judgment and the elitism and wanting everybody to be like me. I have to be willing to bring people into loving circles of hope and acceptance. And I need to be a part of a group, and I need to be a group, a part of a group that guides people to Christ. We talk about groups at first, and we have all kinds of groups. We have men's groups and women's groups, on-campus groups, off-campus groups, Bible study groups, discipling groups, recovery groups. We've got all kinds of groups, but let me tell you what, we don't have enough of them. We need, and I get this, this is a big ask. Listen listen to this. We need 50 of you, 50 of you to say, I will step out of my comfort and I will lead a group this fall. 50 of you. Why do we want 50? Because that would give us over 100 groups. And I want you to listen to me very carefully. I don't care where people go to church. I care that they know Jesus. And when they know Jesus, Jesus will put them in the right church. 
these churches around us, they're not our competition. Pastor Rob over at, at Cypress Creek, I love that guy. We're brothers. In fact, he, they were, came out of our church. They're our baby girl over yonder. And I love Rob. Rob and I've hung out. Rob's running for school board. I'm going to vote for him. Because when I run for president, he's going to vote for me. <laughs> Just saying. Weather for 2020, okay? <laughs> My wife says, that's crazy talk. It is. Okay. But they're not our competition. And I want to see everybody as possibly connected to the loving circles of hope. So Tara and I are part of a group. Dan and Andrea Justice lead it. And I announced last night that I was leaving, but I didn't tell them before I announced it. I'm leaving their group, and I'm going to start another group. And they're going, you broke up with us in public. I said, that's kind of like Facebook, isn't it? You know? <laughs> but the truth is that Tara and I are going to start another group because so we can start another group, so we can start another group, so we can start because we believe everybody needs a group, a loving circle of hope, because you cannot become like Christ in this room alone. So step up and step out. So this is what I'm going to invite you to do. If you say, okay, I'm going to lead a group. I'm going to do this. We'll train you. I want you to take that contact card. I want you to put your name and your email and just write 50 on it. 50. So I'm going to do this. If you're scared, you say, well, I just need to pray about this. Really? Jesus has your yes before he asks? Well, it sounds like manipulation, pastor. I don't care what it sounds like. People need this. And you can do this. Will you step up and be what God wants you to be? But perhaps, perhaps you need to be reconciled with God. Perhaps is the day, today is the day you call upon the name of the Lord and you're saved. Hmm. Then let us start there. If you don't know why, why bother? Why do we exist to bring glory to God? What do we do? We build lives that honor him. How do we do it? By helping people be connected, growing, serving, and sharing, and honoring God. In fact, we, we believe that so much. We have four classes called the next step to teach you how to do it. And we're about, a recon, we're about a reconciliation. We're about being people of reconciliation. Because everything we do, everything we do is about Jesus and how we become like him.